Hey guys, welcome back to the Get Your Shit Together podcast. This is going to be a special episode. We are going to talk about what is probably the single most important and valuable concept I'm going to present in this series. It is something that I was introduced to just about five years ago and has completely changed how I view the world. It is the one and only thing that I strive to achieve every single day of my life. I believe that the key to happiness, success, and in general meaning in life is finding and maximizing the state of consciousness that is known by researchers as flow. This is one of the principles in life that I may have the most confidence in, and my belief is slowly but surely being validated and backed up by empirical and scientific data. People and organizations are also starting to realize the extraordinary value of this mental state. It might be one of the key factors for our rapid technological evolution as a species for the last 12,000 years. And even more amazing is the fact that anyone can achieve it. Flow is one of the key findings from positive psychology research and relates strongly to Abraham Maslow's theory of self-actualization, which is the motivation to achieve your full potential as a person. Now, I'm assuming that since you're listening to this podcast, you have the opportunity to pursue whatever you want in life to a certain extent. Need I remind you that this assumption of freedom is not as obvious to everyone as it may seem to you. Remember that a large part of the global population, over 25% in fact, are still farmers. That is approximately 2 billion people that do not have the luxury of pursuing their dreams and that have to work long. 12, 14, 16 hour days just to take care of themselves and the people close to them. If you struggle to take care of your basic human needs, such as your health and your relationships, you should probably be focusing on that rather than self-actualization. Like I mentioned in my previous episode, this is the flip side of the coin of happiness. But this other side of the coin only became more relevant in recent times of human history. This yearning for meaning, this pursuit of happiness and success, is at large simply a byproduct of the modernization and evolution of human societies. And the opportunity given by these societies has over time revealed itself to not only be a blessing, but in many ways also a curse. Having the freedom as an individual to choose what you want to do in life and lacking the burden of responsibility while becoming an adult should be considered a gift. However, as societies have become more convenient for the individual, it is in our free time that we have found an increasing sense of meaninglessness in our lives. In contrast, our ancestral hunter-gatherers had lives that were much harsher, although a lot simpler. And research suggests that existing tribes such as the Hadza people in general have a higher subjective well-being than people living in much more affluent and modern societies today. To quote the historian Yuval Harari and his amazing book Sapiens, science and the industrial revolution have given humankind superhuman power and practically limitless energy. The social order has been completely transformed, as have politics, daily life, and human psychology. But are we any happier? And if not, what was the point of developing agriculture, cities, writing, 
coinage, empires, science, and industry. Now, there are several factors involved when it comes to the happiness of individuals in all types of societies. Among these factors, the level of social comparison and income inequality may be some of the most significant ones. Older social structures did not have to deal with the enormous amount of social comparison that we do through the likes of the internet and social media, and it was simply not possible to amass the amount of wealth that some individuals have today. But underneath that, you have the degree of opportunity a society provides as a vital factor when it comes to subjective well-being that is often misunderstood. Poverty and a lack of freedom do cause suffering, but paradoxically, too much freedom can cause unhappiness as well. This phenomenon is called the paradox of choice. Most of you have probably had this exact issue when ordering from a restaurant with 60 menu items that all look exactly the same. Or when you were faced with the minor detail of figuring out what you want to do in life while becoming an adult. It is very common to get paralyzed by all the opportunities that are out there. I mean, how do you really know if your choice is the right one for you? You end up listening to the masses, your family, or your friends. Their advice is often to no help at all, and mostly revolves around finding something that provides materialistic things, which we already know really has nothing to do with you. Another part of society may encourage you to follow your passion or do what you love, but these cliche words of encouragement lack context and can be very vague. With the high probability of your choice being less than optimal, it is no wonder why many people end up unhappy or uneasy with their career path. Now more than ever, we have the opportunity to do whatever we want to do, and that can be frightening. With more choice comes higher expectations to finding something that gives us meaning and happiness. The answer is out there, we just really suck at finding it. I believe the most successful and happy people on earth have found their calling. That's something that they were meant to do, either by sheer luck or perseverance. But what I'm suggesting is a more efficient way of finding what you're looking for. What you're looking for is flow. The answer to self-actualization is flow. So, what is flow? Flow is defined as a psychological state that arises when a person becomes so engaged by their current activity that their consciousness of self completely fades away. In these moments, your mind becomes so entirely absorbed in the activity that everything else vanishes. Your concentration is so intense that you actually forget yourself, so to speak, and you begin to act effortlessly. The concept of flow was initially established in the 70s by the psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi while researching the phenomenon of intrinsically motivated activities, also called autotelic activities. Csikszentmihalyi investigated the intrinsic enjoyment of these experiences by interviewing people with great skill such as chess players, rock climbers, and surgeons. The common factors to achieve an optimal experience across all these flow activities related to creating a balance between difficulty and skill, while having clear short-term goals and immediate feedback from the progress being made. Further research established, however, that flow is not just constricted to people with great skill, 
but is universal and any individual can find flow in different activities when certain conditions are met. People often describe the state as being in the zone and you have with certainly felt it at some point in your life. Imagine that you're studying for a math exam or any subject you may excel in for that matter. You are working hard to solve the different types of problems and exercises and suddenly you get a breakthrough. You start solving the problems faster than ever. You become completely engaged in the task itself. You lose sense of time and cannot be distracted by the surroundings around you. This is an example of entering the flow state. Or consider a top basketball athlete like Steph Curry playing an important game and being in the zone, making creative passes, breaking opponents' ankles with crossovers and hitting shots that should be statistically impossible. Steph Curry is not consciously thinking of how to do all those things, because if he did, he would interrupt his flow-like state and make more mistakes. During flow, people feel strong, alert, in effortless control, unselfconscious, and at their peak of their abilities. But not only do people feel at their peak, they're also performing on a whole other level. All sorts of breakthrough performances in sports, arts, and in science are most likely a result of flow states. But some of the best and most well-established research to this date comes from the business world. Over many years, the consulting firm McKinsey have held flow workshops with over 5,000 executives. Most of them report that when in flow and at their peak, their productivity increases by 5x. Imagine going to work on Monday and taking the rest of the week off simply by having mastered the art of inducing and sustaining the flow state. I might add her though, easier said than done. Findings from research conducted by DARPA and the University of Sydney also claim to have seen similar effects with up to a 500% increase in cognitive abilities such as learning, creativity, and problem solving. These studies have garnered the attention from the most forward-thinking companies across the globe like Google, Microsoft, and Spotify. And these companies have, for the past decade, started to modify the working environment and develop processes to increase employees' deep focus and peak performance. You may be familiar with the work being done here as the movement called Agile, but we'll talk more about this specifically in the next episode. Now, flow may sound like a too-good-to-be-true fiction, but it is not. It is the real-life version of the pill from the movie Limitless. And if that is true, how the fuck is this not common knowledge? Well, I don't really have a good answer for that. What I speculate is that even after Csikszentmihalyi's groundbreaking work in the 70s and his many published books thereafter, the theory has been regarded by many as a new age concept relating to spirituality and mysticism with little scientific basis. That is about to change. With the breakthroughs in neuroscience for the past 10 years, scientists have started to gain a completely new and better understanding of how flow works and where these superhuman abilities come from. When we see these enormous spikes in performance, it is largely due to significant changes in the brain. It is, however, not just a switch you can turn on and off. Flow is a cycle that goes through four distinct phases 
that all have a recognizable brainwave pattern. And these phases are struggle, release, flow, and rest. At first, when taking on a significant challenge, we start out of our depth and capabilities. We struggle with information overload, connecting the dots, and making things happen. And unless you push through that struggle, you get stuck. But if you do manage to push through, there is a release and a relaxation response from the body. Here, you are ready to enter the flow state. The strength of the mental state can vary though, and the ability to achieve deep focus consistently comes from lots of training and practice. Finally, there is a recovery phase which is essential to consistently induce flow. It is, for example, in our sleep that we process the information that we collect while we are awake. Most of the actual learning and building of new skills happens while we're asleep. And in this four part cycle, some really powerful neurochemicals are released in the body. Flow combines all of the five most potent neurochemicals that we know of, which are dopamine norepinephrine, endorphins, anandamide, and serotonin. It is in fact the only mental state that we know of where the brain produces all five at once. These are our body's internal pleasure drugs that boost our performance as well as making flow such a pleasurable and rewarding experience. Another significant change in the brain during flow is the level of brain network activity. There are certain brain regions that actually need to deactivate in order for us to enter flow. We have already talked extensively about these parts of the brain in previous episodes, and that is the default mode network. The default mode network inhibits our ability to trigger flow because when it's active, we're lost in thought and not present in the here and now. You see, the most essential factor for triggering flow is your focus and attention. Keeping your concentration on the task at hand is the only way to go from struggle to release in the flow cycle. And what is considered to be the best way to successfully go through that transition is focusing on the breath, because it lowers the activity in the default mode network. When this brain network goes quiet, we're basically getting out of our own way. There is no inner voice in our head. There's no worry about the future or the past. One is only focused on the here and now, and that is how you trigger flow. When the default mode network deactivates, another set of brain regions called the task positive network turns on. There's still a lot of research that needs to be conducted on the task positive network, but it is a brain network that can only be activated when the default mode network shuts down, and it is required, or should I say made for attention demanding tasks, such as flow activities. You can probably see the strong connection here between flow states and meditation states. In fact, expert meditators are able to activate the task positive network way more consistently than the average person. And if that is not a good enough argument for practicing meditation, I don't know what is. Meditation states, flow states, these altered states of consciousness may sound like woo-woo to the ordinary person and one cannot really blame them. Because in both deep meditation and in deep flow, things can get really trippy. Not only does the default mode network deactivate here, but the paritial lobe that controls our sense of time and space 
also goes quiet. This leads to experiences that can feel transcendent, magical, even spiritual. From a scientific perspective, all these descriptions can be very challenging to accept. It sounds completely surreal, but these are in fact real states of consciousness that the recent neuroscientific research is now finally uncovering. This all started with the rebirth of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and the breakthrough findings using psychedelics to, to treat PTSD with tremendously positive effects. Researchers have, in this scientific renaissance of the mind, been able to link psychedelics and the mystical experiences they produce to meditation and mindfulness practices, and now also to flow states. All these altered states show significant impact in treating trauma, anxiety, depression, OCD, and addiction. The experiences from flow, meditation, and psychedelics all share the similar underlying neurobiology. The default mode network deactivates, and the paritial lobe goes quiet. The neuroscientist Andrew Newberg even discovered that in this mental space, people feel a sense of unity, connectedness, and oneness. That same experience religious and spiritual practitioners describe as cosmic unity or oneness with God. So not only can these transcendent experiences unlock our superhuman abilities, they can also have a significant healing and deeply spiritual effect on us. Back to Maslow and the desire for self-actualization, we come full circle. On the path to achieving your full potential, Maslow considered peak experiences as the best sign of being on the right track. And when he described peak experiences as transcendent moments of pure joy and elation, it is hard to not see the obvious similarities to flow and other states of altered consciousness. What positive psychology research has found out is that flow is fundamental to overall happiness for individuals living in modern societies. According to Csikszentmihalyi, in this state of consciousness, people find genuine satisfaction and the people with the most flow in their lives have the highest life satisfaction. He recognized flow as an optimal experience and the source code of intrinsic motivation. Flow is the reason why it feels effortless working on the things that you are passionate about, simply because you are intrinsically motivated to focus all your attention on the task at hand. That is why Csikszentmihalyi coined flow activities as autotelic, because the activity is considered as an end in itself for the individual. So when the free-spirited part of society says, follow your passion, this is what they're actually trying to say. With passion follows focus. With focus follows flow. And with flow follows not only a higher level of life satisfaction, but also a higher chance of career success. After all this mind-altering research and slightly biased preaching by myself, we finally arrive back at that daunting, soul-searching question, namely, how do you actually find your calling? Flow is the answer, holistically speaking. I've explained how it works and how to trigger it in general. But where you find flow as an individual can vary to a great extent. The key is finding the things that come natural to you. The activities where flow just happens without any extensive force or conscious effort. These are your flow activities. This is the ultimate search. This is the final piece of the puzzle.
Now, I don't have a completely scientifically validated method for finding these, but what I can present to you is my underlying theory and hypothesis of where flow activities come from, which can be used as a guideline. I believe that flow activities are an evolutionary product of specialization. What I hypothesize is that flow, just like any other latent behavior and ability that we humans possess, was initially developed to aid our goal of survival. We needed peak performances to activate our superhuman state in life-threatening situations in order to survive all the crazy shit that our ancestors had to go through. The flow state essentially emerged from once again the struggle of survival. But as we started to create social groups, human beings started to specialize, which had major implications on how we as individuals trigger flow. Ever since banding together in societies, humans have resorted to some form of division of labor to increase the chance of the whole group surviving and thriving, thus making everyone better off. For example, some individuals were probably responsible for hunting, some for reproducing, some for maintaining the society's living space, and some for raising the young. As a consequence, certain individuals most likely developed a natural ability to focus and enjoy certain tasks, and different individuals developed unique skills. Furthermore, fascinating new studies theorize that the jump from tribal to agrarian societies created a permanent social division of labor that resulted in task-oriented genetic polymorphism. In other words, social division of labor might have really kickstarted genetically hereditary traits that were beneficial for certain tasks. From tribal to agrarian and finally to industrial societies, the complexities of these specializations only became larger. I believe that not only did the modernization of society give us more opportunity, it also gave us more flow in the sense of an increasing number of flow activities like artisan skills and craftsmanship. However, it may seem that many of these activities were lost or forgotten in the transition to the industrial age, where a growing number of the population had to get factory jobs. Either way, flow activities give an interesting perspective on purpose and if you were born to do something. You have most likely inherited genetic traits beneficial for certain tasks that have benefited human society at some point in the past. Flow really puts the meaning in meaningful work. And flow activities might just be your DNA's answer to that something that you were literally meant to do. Assuming my theory is not totally off, I have three suggestions to guide your search for flow. First and foremost, you need to realize that the answer you're looking for lies within. How well do you actually know yourself? What are the things that you really enjoy doing? What were the things you loved doing while growing up? With self-awareness and a deep understanding of yourself, you should be able to figure out what natural skills and strengths you have. An analysis of your big five personality traits could give an indication of what might come natural to you. Do you have any traits that stand out? As a total generalization, Extroversion would give you an advantage in sales, openness to experience indicate a knack for the arts, and orderliness might come in very handy in something like accounting. 
I encourage you to check out the information on the Similar Minds website in the description below. There is also a flow profile quiz created by the Flow Genome Project, which is free. Although their flow profiles are a bit generic, it might give you some direction. The second thing I would look into is your family tree. Think about your parents, their siblings, and your grandparents. What type of people do you find? And what talents do they have? Are there any notable qualities that seem to run in the family? Finally, if you still haven't found what you're looking for, you simply need to try out new things. Genetics and personality can help you find flow, but ultimately the only way to confirm what your flow activities actually are is to sense it in the moment. Feeling it is knowing. When was the last time you were so absorbed in an activity that you completely lost track of time? What are the things that consistently put you in the zone? Taste new things or forgotten joys and look for the characteristics of flow. Be patient and don't judge things too quickly. Remember that you're not bound to only one flow activity. There are most likely multiple things that can give you flow. Think in broad terms. My flow activities were the ones that I've found so far, relates to performing and teaching, abilities which I discovered run in my family. Sometimes you find the activity, and sometimes the activity finds you. With that being said, I'm not saying that you should be a slave to your genetics. You don't have to follow in your ancestors' footsteps. However, you should be honest with yourself and acknowledge that you probably have some natural strengths that you're born with. Combine them with your passions and find new meaning. As an example, if you come from a lineage of accountants and are good with numbers but hate accounting, you don't have to go into the family business. But also, don't beat yourself up trying to become an athlete just because you love sports. Aiming to become something like a sports data analyst might just be your true calling. Never have the opportunity for combining your passions and skills been greater than today. So you need to grab this chance we have right now by the balls. On a final note, I really do believe that flow is the answer to what most people are searching for. That is also why I'm such a big proponent on self-awareness and mindfulness. You need self-awareness to find flow and you need mindfulness to be able to consistently trigger it. However, flow does not necessarily need to be something that is productive or positive in a societal sense. It is first and foremost essential for your own well-being and happiness. But if you can align your flow and passion while providing value to society, that is something special. It doesn't have to be anything revolutionizing. Just doing something useful for other people that you like doing gives you a reason for living that is larger than yourself. A raison d'être, as the French would say. Or your ikigai. The Japanese concept of what makes one's life worthwhile. To sum up my view on happiness, the most important thing you can do is to take care of your health and close relationships. Don't chase materialistic things. But to find a deeper meaning and purpose in life, find your flow activities and bring value to society while doing it. With that, 
we've finally come halfway in the series. This episode will be my last one in a longer format. For the second part, I will mostly present concepts that relate strongly to the topics we've already covered, which means if you really understand the things we've gone through so far, I can assure you that you're well on your way to getting your shit together. Until next time, I want you to take a step back and look at the big picture. Are things starting to click? Please let me know. Thank you for listening.